This season five premiere of Communicore Weekly is brought to you by Fairy Godmother Travel. Contact them for all your Disney-related travel needs. Send them an email at communicoreweekly at fairygodmothertravel.com and say, tell them that we sent you. Hello and welcome to Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show and home of the world's first pair of independently born identical twins. I'm George. And I'm Jeff. And it's the season five premiere of Communicore Weekly. Wow. We're here. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say something else. I was trying to remember, how many seasons did Lost go? Was it seven? They went six. They went six. They went six okay. seasons. Okay. Okay. We're at season five. And and community was six seasons. That's but true. not a movie yet, so who knows? But not a movie yet. And but we've done five seasons in a musical? Hey, you know what, dude? That's that's I'm gonna go with that. Hashtag yeah, I, I five like seasons that. in a musical. Five seasons in a musical. And for those of you guys who did, for some reason don't know, yes, we did Communicore Weekly the musical. Please search iTunes, and Spotify, Amazon. It's amazing. It's forty five minutes of hilarity and amazing songs by the Communicore Weekly Orchestra, of course, Andrew and Steve. And it's amazing. We we get to battle Michael Eisner for the Magic Kingdom. And how many people could say they'd done that? I know. Not many. Well, maybe like Jeffrey Katzenberg. But aside from that, <laughs> nobody else can say that they battled Michael Eisner. We should add, We should have had him guest star on the musical. That I didn't even awesome. think about that at the time. We're just so focused on Eisner all the time. It's just That's all true. about him. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, wow. uh, so yeah, we have a, a full show for you. And then we have two announcements at the end of the show. So stay oh. tuned after the five like a goat. They'll just turn it off like you usually do, guys, because I know that's what you do. <laughs> Stick around for a few minutes, please. But yeah. uh I think we should uh, jump into that history segment. We should not gallop into the history segment. No, saunter. I don't oh know. Gosh. How do goats move? I, uh, my head hurts. Okay, never mind. It's time for Disney History! So our five-legged goat uh, segment has always been a major part of our show. And, you know, as every good cadet should know, we got the name from it um, from part of the mural in the Grand Canyon Concourse of the Contemporary Resort. And th this uh, mural is really an awe-inspiring uh, site. And, you know, it consists of over 18,000 fire-glazed ceramic tiles, and it covers all four sides of the elevator shaft. And it's nine stories tall. I mean, it's incredible. Um, there's really tons of little whimsical details within the mural, but of course, the five-legged goat is the one that we all know the best, and it just stands out the best. Um, and, you know, the mural is this great work of art, and it perfectly showcases the style and the flair of one of our favorite artists, Miss Mary Blair. For over 30 years, Mary brought a modern sense of style and, and coloring to the Disney films and parks. Her work managed to feel both strange and familiar, off-kilter, yet classic and always always vivid and within the contemporary mural guests can see some resemblance to styles and themes to disney films of the 40s and the 50s along with the colorful environments of her most famous work 
It's a Small World. While born October 22, 1911, in McAllister, Oklahoma, uh, Mary Brown Robinson moved to Texas shortly thereafter with her family. And she spent a lot of her childhood there before moving to California in her 20s. Um, and she studied at the San Jose State College before actually winning a scholarship to the Chouinard Art Institute, which we've talked about before, um, you know, where many of Walt's uh, animators received their training. She spent the 1930s uh, painting in oils and watercolors, working in a sort of impressionistic style uh, in this, you know, of the serious art world. Um, and she always, she actually worked temporarily as an ink and paint girl in the Ub Iwerks studio to help pay her bills. Shortly after college in 1934, Mary married Lee Everett Blair, who also worked at the Iwerks studio. Lee became an animator for Disney in 1939, and Mary followed him shortly after that. In 1940, working as a color stylist, uh, making sketch paints for animated projects. And she worked briefly on Dumbo, an early version of Lady and the Tramp, and an early sequel to Fantasia, even though the sequence she did uh, work on would not be released until Fantasia 2000. But it was during this time that she would become a serious and challenging visual artist and one of the most enduring influences on the company's style during that era. So even though she uh, left Disney for a little bit, she returned in 1941 to become part of the infamous El Grupo, you know, the contingent mm-hmm. of Disney artists who traveled to Latin America on the Goodwill Tour. And at the same time, they were gathering material for films that would come out uh, of the tour itself. Uh, Saludos Amigos, and of course, my personal favorite, The Three Caballeros. <laughs> you mean that ride in Mexico? Exactly. Okay. You know, with the birds that they just stuck in there. Yeah. So the watercolors that Mary painted led Walt to assign her as an art supervisor for both the films. Her influence is pretty strong on both films, especially in The Three Caballeros, uh, you know, with the Bahia train sequence being the most evident. Um, it's, it's the one that has, you know, colorful rain, uh, I'm sorry, the, the train track, uh, just reduces mm-hmm. these really weird geometrically unsound shapes, and it just <laughs> runs amok on the tracks through the stylized and uh, uh, abstract mountain passes and jungles, which sometimes were just merely outlines on this really black, black velvet. And, and later, in, uh, contrast to that style, we see more of her other stylings during the Las Posadas sequence with, uh, her children with overly round and overly large faces. And while the scene is very simply animated, it, it's her work that is on full display. Uh, you know, it's the simplicity of it's really quite stark and, you know, memorizing in contrast to the rest of the film. Mary first began animation and color design on the major films in 1943 and would continue to work on animated films for Disney for a full decade. During World War II, uh, production slowed down considerably at the Walt Disney Studios, and most of the animated releases were just patriotic shorts or just package features. Uh, one Blair highlight of the era is the uh, me- melody time in that film during the Bumble Boogie section. It's kind of like a hot-colored surrealism set to this jazzy selection of uh, the song Flight of the Bumblebee, and it shows flowers and anamorphic musical notations through an unstable and very Mary Blair-like landscape. And during the 50s, with the studio going back to feature-length animated films, Blair's influence as a concept artist can definitely be felt on such films as Cinderella, Alice in Wonderland, and Peter Pan. And she was credited with color styling on those films, and her concept art for them are still loved today. She also worked on the shorts The Little House and Susie the Little Blue Coop during this time. 
Shortly after those films, however, Mary actually left Disney to do freelance work, and she created advertising campaigns for companies such as Nabisco, uh, Pepsodent, Maxwell Health, and Beatrice Foods, amongst others. And she also illustrated a lot of little golden books, and she also designed Christmas and Easter uh, car sets for uh, the Radio City Music Hall shows. Blair not only worked in graphic design and animation, but also as a designer for Bonwit Teller and created theatrical sets as well. So, despite her departure, she was still one of Walt's favorite artists. When they began designing attractions for the 1964-65 New York World's Fair, Mary was brought back in to help design It's a Small World alongside Rolly Crump. The result was, as you all know, an amazing pastel-colored combination of asymmetric shapes that is clearly from her head. Her influence was felt even more when the attraction was brought to Disneyland and the facade basically screams Mary Blair. Mary returned to Disney again in the late 1960s to design uh, the two prominent mu murals for the entrance to Tomorrowland at uh, Disneyland, and they were both on display until the late 80s. Mary also designed sets of Walt Disney note cards for Hallmark, which they sold. In 1968, uh, Blair branched out again and was credited as color designer on the film version of How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. Blair would eventually move out to Washington for Lee Blair's military career and then return to her home studio located in Long Island, New York. Um, Mary Blair moved back to California and she actually unfortunately passed away of a cerebral hemorrhage in Soquel, California on July 26, 1978. So Mary's legacy is definitely widespread and felt uh, all over, not just the Walt Disney Company, but the art world. While the fine art she created outside of her association with Disney and her work as an illustrator is not widely known, Blair's bold and groundbreaking color design still inspires many of today's contemporary designers and animators. A Google Doodle was created on Friday, October 21st, 2011 to commemorate the centennial of her birth. The Doodle featured an image of her, an illustrator, as Mary might have drawn herself, surrounded by the simple patterns and shapes that made up her familiar cartoon world. Mary has been uh, credited with introducing a modernistic art style to Walt Disney and his studio by using primary colors to form intense uh, contrasts and colors that are unnatural to the image that they are uh, excuse me, depicting. And because of her unique achievements and vast contributions to the company, in 1991, uh, Blair was recognized with a posthumous Disney Legend Award, which is a pretty big deal. Um, <laughs> she also received the Windsor McKay Award from uh, ASIFA Hollywood in 1996, along with uh, two other Disney animators as well. And, I mean, Mary Blair is just an amazing artist all around. Yeah, and there have been a couple great books, which we've looked at and reviewed. Everybody should go back and listen to those episodes. But we would really love to hear what your thoughts on Mary Blair, your thoughts on the mural at the Contemporary, or the old murals at Tomorrowland that are covered up and still there, or any of the other work that she's done. Uh, give us a call on the Communicore Weekly GOAT line at 424-785-4628, 424-785-GOAT. He's a nerd, he's a geek, but we all like to hear him speak. So listen up to the words from his speech. It's George's Book of the Week. This week's book is Star Wars Lost Stars by Claudia Gray. And uh, this book came as part of a larger review pack from Disney Publishing Worldwide. I didn't know much about it, but hey, give me a Star Wars book and I'm going to read it because I love it. And, you know... Since Disney has taken over all things Star Wars, the books have been nothing short of fantastic, except the Battlefront book was kind of weird. 
which Jeff and I both agree on that one. Yes, we um, do. Yes. And since The Force Awakened has turned out to be a magnificent return to the series, uh, we're going to see a lot more interest in Star Wars books, so I'm very, very excited. And this is part of the journey to Star Wars, The Force Awakens, and there are some Force Awakens stuff in there, which is cool. Okay, so as I said earlier, I didn't know much about Lost Stars, but I was hooked within the first few pages. Uh, the book starts about eight years after the fall of the Old Republic on a planet called Jellicon. I hope that's how you say it. Probably Jalukin, knowing them. And we meet two children and their respective families. Sienna is from what's called the first settlers of the planet over 500 years ago, and they were cast out from their home planet after a civil war. And the first settlers sort of believe in family and community and keeping their word. And the second waivers arrived about 150 years ago and was much more into modern tastes and needs. Like they had to have the latest iPhone. Definitely. They had iPhones? Well, yeah, but they were called like force phones or something. Oh, like, okay, fair enough. You know? And obviously there's a disconnect between the two societies, and this keeps most of the novel moving through its paces. Um, I was immediately drawn to the Romeo and Juliet-like story of the novel, and I don't want this to turn anyone away. It was still a lot of fun. And, you know, it's sort of like the overarching theme is that the two friends grow up together by learning how to fly, because that's their dream. Not like with their arms and like spaceships and stuff like that, because <laughs> that would be kind of weird. And, you know, they want to go to the Imperial Academy. And, you know, for most of the galaxy at the time, the Galactic Empire is still seen as the best way to go. You know, two thumbs up. Not really, but that's okay. Um, not going to give away too many spoilers because I don't like to do that. But Thane and Sienna, the two characters, find themselves competing amicably at a, an Imperial Academy until a certain situation breaks their friendship. And the rest of the novel sort of follows both of them as they experience different parts of the conflict between the Empire and the Rebels. And it was, it was pretty neat to see, well, no, not neat, that's the wrong term, eye-opening in a different way, to see the rebels painted as terrorists, even after the destruction of Alderaan by the Empire. Um, Sienna follows her honor-bound decision, like her family, and Thane reacts more on an emotional level. And they, they do find themselves in conflict uh, emotionally and morally throughout most of the Star Wars book, The Lost Stars. Okay, so I really liked reading how both of them were at the nexus of all the major battles and incidents of A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. Uh, they also run into the major players of the films and interact on crucial levels with them. You know, I, I really loved how Thane and Sienna were always on the edge of the films, and, you know, they were part of them, but you never really would see them. And it sort of reminded me of the wonderful, wonderful Phineas and Ferb Star Wars episode, which was incredible. Uh, you know, some people will say this book is a teen romance, but to me it was so much more than that. It's an expansion of the films of the original trilogy. Grey is able to pull back the curtains ever so slightly, and we sort of see how the battles came together and what brought about many of the conflicts. Also, it's amazing to see characters like Darth Vader, Grand Moff Tarkin, Admiral Akbar. It's our book. I was going, yeah, it's good. And others from the viewpoint of sort of like the rank and file. You know, here's how the uh, rank-and-file military would have seen them, so to speak. And, you know, we all know about Vader and the Emperor, but the general population of the galaxy, they're the leaders and enforcers of the peace, which was interesting. And, you know, at one point I had a history professor who said that all of history is written by the important people and, you know, the wealthy, the powerful, and the victors. And to me, seeing the monumental Star Wars events from the original trilogy through the eyes of normal people was really 
exciting and quite wonderful. So if you're a Star Wars fan and you love the original trilogy, I think this is a book you're really going to get into. It's called Star Wars Lost Stars by Claudia Gray. You don't know what you know till we know you. You, know, you just don't know. Here's one little fact we bet you didn't. One little fact we bet you didn't know. Fantasyland at Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom is not the first home for Prince Charming Regal Carousel, you know, the carousel formerly known as Cinderella Golden Carousel, nor is it the second. What? I know. You three time in carousel. <laughs> okay, this could have turned into a much longer fact than I thought. So um, it was built by the Philadelphia Tog Toboggan Company. Wow. The Philadelphia Toboggan Company in 1917. And the carousel was built for the Belle Isle Park in Detroit. And sometime in 1929, it was moved from the Belle Isle Park to Olympic Park in New Jersey. Now, the Olympic Park closed in 1965, and Disney bought the Liberty, as it was known, and moved it to Florida. And at the time, it was considered one of the largest carousels in the world. Now we know you. Sometimes you might see it, sometimes you don't. Hey, look, what's that? It's a five-legged goat. So, like George was saying when he was just, just reviewing Lost Star Stars, you know, the Star Wars fever is literally at an all-time high right now. You know, It is. I've got a fever of seven. Really? A fever of episode seven. You know, maybe you need more cowbell. <laughs> Some space cowbell. <laughs> anyway, so it's so popular that the Star Wars launch bay opened on both coasts at Walt Disney World and at Disneyland Resort. So, for this week, we're actually going to be looking at the one located in Disney's Hollywood Studios, America's favorite half-day park at uh, Walt Disney World. So, there is a section uh, in there. I haven't been there personally, but I've seen photos. But there's a door, and there's some junk in the doorway, or so you think. But it's all hidden behind all these wires. You can't actually go through the doors, but you can see everything. And above the door, it says Lost and Found in Arabish, which is the, you know, the, the standard written language of the Star Wars galaxy. Mm -hmm. So... Obviously, all the junk is stuff that people lost throughout the entire galaxy, right? Why, why do we care about that? Well, because in Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens, when we do see uh, C-3PO, he has a brand new red arm. And we're all like, dude, what happened to your old one? Where did it go? There's no explanation. <laughs> so when you glance at the Lost and Found, you actually see the missing golden left arm. It's in there. Thank the maker. We don't know how... It got there, what happened, but we know where the arm is. Maybe someone just needs to reconnect it to C-3PO. J.J. Abrams is scary. He is scary. I don't know. It was probably in the hatch, and 3PO had to enter numbers every 108 minutes, and he forgot, so they took the arm off. As they took the arm off. As, yeah, that's what I think it was. So, Okay, so as we mentioned at the top of the show, we've got some announcements. And for the first announcement of Season 5, we've decided to continue the year of a million or so Limited time cadets. Hooray! So to further its resemblance to a certain <clears throat> ad campaign a few years ago, the year will extend a little further into two years for maximum number of cadets to actually get prizes. Fairy Godmother Travel, one of our wonderful sponsors, will continue to give away an awesome Disney prize pack every other week while the other weeks will continue to have more sponsored prizes and prizes from our own collections. 
<clears throat> I'm not sure what I'm going to give away because I mean um, I got a couple of things I was thinking. Yeah, about. we can find some things. So um, because you know, of course, we have to send out all of these to the greatest cadets ever. And I was thinking maybe we should just change it to the years of a million or so limited time cadets. You know, it's too many S's. We can't afford that many S's. That's true. That's not on our budget. Not on our. That's budget. like. Three S's or And it's four? just really hard to say. I'm going to forget. Yeah. I trained myself okay. a certain way. Good. <laughs> anyway, so the the second bigger announcement, and this one is kind of going to come as a surprise to a lot of you. Um, after a lot of thought and discussion, we've decided that season five will be the last season of Communicore Weekly. You know, what? For, uh, oh. You didn't? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that to me, George. All word. <laughs> what do you mean you didn't? You didn't tell me. What? Oh, man. <laughs> you know, for you know, the last four years, we brought you this theme park history with our own unique uh, zany twist week in, week out. And we've never missed a week. And we, we've, we don't plan to miss a week. But it's, it's a lot of work to do. <laughs> and also, you know, there are only so many topics we can cover and so many histories to bring you, and so many books to read for the weekly review. <laughs> Why do we call it Book of the Week? Um, anyway, so we've decided to take the Seinfeld route and end the show on a high note while we're still doing quality work. Well, questionable, now, questionable, but still. <laughs> we don't want to find ourselves in year eight covering the history of the bathrooms by the runaway mine train in Six Flags over Texas, even though that is something very Communicore Weekly. It's something that we do. Um, but we'd rather bring you the topics that we find interesting as opposed to scraping the bottom of the barrel uh, some weeks to find new things to talk about. And, you know, it, this wasn't in no means, you know, an easy decision to make because we love each and every single one of you and we both really enjoy doing the show. But we feel that at the end of five years, we'd have covered a very significant portion of not just Disney history, but also theme park history as well. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, like I mentioned, you know, it's a lot of work to do the show every week. And there are other avenues that we'd like to explore, both, you know, in theme park stuff and other areas not relating to theme parks as well. What, and, what is there besides theme parks? It, yeah, exactly, George. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> and, you know, as much as we both love doing it, it's, it's almost time to move on. Not yet. Um, it, we've never been a normal show. I mean, no. we, we don't have to tell you that. You guys know that. Uh, you know, we've kind of always been the weird redheaded stepchild of the Disney and theme park community. And we're totally okay with that. I mean, we really like that identity. That's how we flourish. Um, if we were a news and happening show, we can theoretically go on forever, but because of the nature of the show overall, we like to end things on our own terms, you know, not just like, you know, bathrooms. We want to end things on our own terms, not just because, you know, turn it into something else to sustain the show. That would be a confusing show. Communicore weekly ending on our own terms. <laughs> Well, Communicore Weekly, we'll turn anything into a t-shirt. So, <laughs> so what exactly changes from here? Well, you know, honestly, nothing. Communicore Weekly will continue every week, just like usual, and you won't really notice a change, really. We will, however, be counting down to the end from here on out. And, you know, almost since the beginning of the show, every season of the show has had a theme in some way. You know, however loosely fitting that theme may have been. Um, you know, the first season, we'll just call that the beginning. We didn't really have an official theme. We were finding oh, we our thought we're going to call it A New Hope. We'll call it Communicore Weekly Season 1, A New Hope. Um, the second year, again, was just the year of serialized stories, and we started to get really crazy, and it culminated in the release of the musical. 
Yeah. Um, the third season was the 50th anniversary of the World's Fair and our, our look at it throughout the entire year. And obviously season four was the year of a million or so limited time cadets where we celebrated you guys and we got you more involved in the show and also really began to look at other theme parks in depth. Um, and so for season five, we're going to be billing it as the final 52. Sounds like a Quentin Tarantino film. It does. Yeah. Anyway, so the final 52 are the final 52 episodes of the show, obviously, and the final topics we want to cover on Communicore Weekly. We have a list of things that we will be discussing for our history segments, things that you know, we've always wanted to cover but haven't yet, but we also want to know what things you guys want us to cover. Is there something we haven't done yet that you'd like a history segment on? Uh, you know, Disney or otherwise, or even a bunch of small history segments. You know, definitely let us know, and we'll consider adding it to our list. And while the list is filling up, we're not done with it yet, and we'd love to include stuff that you guys want to hear as well. But uh, we also still want to get you guys more involved, so if you think you're an authority on a topic, we'd love to, you know, have you on. We did it a few times during Season 4 to, to great success, and we'd love to continue that. And, you know, in all honesty, you... And, you know, probably us as well. We're, we're going to forget that the show is going to be ending in 2017 because basically from here on out, it's just going to be business as usual. So it won't even be a thought in your minds. Um, and, you know, that's that's OK. We don't want to make a big deal out of it, honestly. And it, it's just a thing. We're still going to be here for another year. Having said that, not wanting to make a big deal out of it. We want to make a big deal out of it um, and kind of <laughs> end on a really high note and do something awesome. And, you know, a lot of you guys missed out on the Communitor Communi- in 2014 where we took the awesome Adventures by Disney oh, trip. God, it was oh, so good. It was so much fun. And we got so many comments from people going, why didn't I go in this? This would have been great. Um, so we decided, you know, we've been we've been talking about it for a while. We even joked about it during the first Communitor. We'd love to do something to continue that. So this is a good way to, to end it. We're going to do a Communitor 2, the Communi Cruise. And is that where we can't? get the podcast below 55 miles an hour um i think it's 50 knots when you're out in the ocean oh i get confused that's what it is okay (laughs) so we don't have exact details yet nothing's set in stone we're still talking about it but we're going to be doing a a caribbean disney cruise sometime sometime towards the end of the run you know late 2016 or early 2017 and we'd love for you guys to join us i mean cruises are great we'd love to have you guys there and if you're interested in it you know please send us an email at communicrewweekly at gmail.com so we can start planning and making a accommodation to just get a general headcount so we know what we're looking at and you know obviously it's a cruise we'll do all sorts of fun things together on the cruise and we'll probably have some kind of you know live show during it as well and we just want you guys to be there yeah so again you know nothing really changes right now um we're still the same old world's first pair of independently born identical twins and we'll be bringing you theme park wackiness for a very long while but the end of the road is in sight and we're going to make it one heck of a final stretch. Yeah, I mean, we love you guys. Every single one of you guys, even you. You know who you're talking about. Um, you know, the, the folks have been there from the very beginning. Uh, the people have joined us just recently and everybody in between. We love you. And we've both of us have made really awesome friendships, long-lasting friendships. And we will cherish them for the rest of our lives because of this show. So, you know, we wanted to thank you guys for that. Just really thank you. <laughs> so before we get too sappy because we're not really known for our sap nope we're here for our snark another s word (laughs) let's see we got too many s's let's end the season five premiere with the first winner of the million no oh wow george you already messed it up last year the first winner of the year of a million or so limited time cadets 
for season five. Oh man. So this, the first winner is going to get a Fairy Godmother Travel prize pack because Teresa Corey is amazing. She puts together these great little things for them. Um, so the first winner of season five is David L. from Waldorf, uh, Maryland. Congratulations, David. That's so exciting. So, in case you completely forgot or have not listened to the previous 52 episodes, you can enter the contest. <laughs> I tried not to say that too mean because everybody should be listening to us. By emailing communicorweekly at gmail.com with your name, address, and birthday. Obviously, we need your address so we can mail it to you. But email communicorweekly at gmail.com. And, and we know we're going to have questions. We are keeping all the names that were already emailed to us last year. You don't have to re-email us. Yeah, we're not wiping the slate clean. Not wiping the slate clean because we've got well over a thousand cadets still in the box waiting to go. Um, but still, we can have more names. So email us communicorweekly at gmail.com. We'll be happy to get you one. So, well, thank you guys so much for watching and listening to the Season 5 premiere of Communicore Weekly. Please, however you get the show, you know, leave us a comment on iTunes, or leave us a rating, or uh, leave a comment on the YouTube. We'd love to hear from you guys. Yep. Email us at communicoreweekly at gmail.com to enter the contest or just say, sup, 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 Corey. Uh, you can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash communicoreweekly. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram and occasionally Periscope. I'm at Imagine Nerding. He's at Jeff Heimbuck. And of course, you can always give us a call on the Communicore Weekly GOAT line at 424-785-4628. And if you'd like to flush on your own terms and show the world that you do it, visit communicoreweekly.spreadshirt.com and pick up one of our amazing t-shirts. You know, that was one of your better segues. We need to come up with more like that. I'm not going to lie. Well done, George. Um, if you want your official cadet membership card or Communicore Weekly stickers, are you still laughing about that? Sticklers? Sticklers. I'm a Communicore Weekly stickler. It, 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 took me it took five years to get a comment. I mean, oh, a compliment. Man. Anyway, send us a self-addressed stamped envelope to Communicore Weekly, P.O. Box, uh, 432 Orange, California, 92856. You just completely messed me up. I'd love to know what a stickler is. Just end the show, please. <laughs> okay, so you can always visit patreon.com slash Weekly to find out how you can help support the greatest online show. For Jeff Heimbuck, I'm George Taylor. And for George Taylor, I'm Jeff Heimbuck. Thanks so much for listening, guys and gals. We'll see you next week on Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show. 